My guest today is Georgia Harris, who is one of the most resilient people I've ever had the pleasure of meeting. Not many other 23-year-olds could face the world that she has. Her father took his own life, and on the same day her mother has a heart attack and is admitted to hospital. We chat about how she and her family survived, what she does for her mental health, and an amazing call taker named Peter, who was on the other end of the line when she dialed 111 on that terrible day. It's my great pleasure to introduce Georgia Harris to the Cappuccino Podcast. Please don't forget, 1737 is a free service for New Zealanders who are feeling down, anxious, or a bit overwhelmed, or if you just need to chat to somebody. You can call or text 1737 24 hours, 7 days a week. Cappuccino with Constable Brian. Real people, real stories. My guest today for the Cappuccino is Georgia Harris, who's now a police CRL communicator. Uh, she's met a Sheeran. Uh, some people go backpacking or around Europe for their 21st. She proudly proclaims on her blog, and we'll talk to you about where you can go for that, that she got braces. <laughs> True story? I yeah, yes. yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, she's an avid climber uh, and skier, is that correct? Yes. Yeah, yeah. See, I've done my research here. Yeah. And she also worked in the travel industry before um, she came and joined the police family, I so to guess. So let's do the speed round because I know you are nervous about this, so that's all good. <laughs> uh, last book that you read? Uh, so, last book I read was Jazz Thornton's new yeah, book. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. And Jazz Thornton, I'm still waiting for you to come in on my <laughs> podcast, I'm just saying. The last movie that you cried at was what? Oh, the last movie. Not a movie, but we're currently watching Grey's Anatomy. So yeah, my wife tears. watches that. That yeah. makes me cry yeah, when the Grey's. credits start. Cause, yeah. Yeah, I'm just, <laughs> anyway, the last text message you sent. Last text message was to my friend. Yes, come over today. There you go. Social media guilty pleasure is? Oh, goodness. And you can't say your own blog. YouTube. YouTube. Okay, yeah. that's cool. Favourite podcast, apart from this one obviously, is what? Uh, the South Love Club by yeah. Bell. Cool. Yeah. Okay, so before we even get started, talk us through the Ed Sheeran thing, because I know that you've met him. <laughs> I have met Was Ed he a good bloke? He was. He was amazing. So I used to work for Qantas, um, and they were running a competition, and they said we've got you know a couple of double passes to give away to his concert that was at Mount Smart a few years ago. So I ended up getting some orange costume from the $2 shop and mum helped me with that and we got the guitar and the vacuum stick as a microphone and they pulled me aside one day at work and they said, oh, we've not only have we got double passes, but we've got, you know, a double pass for you to meet him. So me and mum went along and met Ed and mum made him some marshmallow cake and he was just sweet. He is a great guy. Yeah, it was awesome. Great experience. How long have you been at the crime reporting line hotline now? Uh, So I started in October. 2019. Right, so yeah. what's the weirdest thing that anybody has reported to you or the CRL that you've heard of? <laughs> um, the weirdest report for me. Oh, that's a good question. We get a lot mm-hmm. of different things coming through that line, and that's why I love the job. Mm, the strangest thing was probably I did have a lady say that uh, someone had come and hijacked her remote control. As you do. Yeah. That's fine. That's yeah. all good. Uh, right. Okay. Right. Okay. So your dad had a very long battle, an eight year battle with depression. Yeah, he did. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so you're probably more familiar with it than most people. Um, did your dad give any signs that he was depressed? Um, 
I think it be it can be quite hard with like a parent child relationship. Yeah. You know when the parent is struggling from mental illness. I think for us like dad, it was the moods. So one day he would be really heightened and quite happy and cheery with life, and then the next day it would kind of be quite flatlined, if you could describe it that way. Yeah. But he. Yeah, people do ask me this question, but it's hard because he was constant, like he was, um, you know, constantly out and active and doing things, and it was very hard to see when he was having his bad days, because us as kids, you know, he was the parent at the end of the day, so we were always, you know, out at school or doing our extracurricular activities, so to come home and really understand what he was going through was really hard, yeah. As a kid. You, uh, obviously after your dad passed away, it's a real struggle for you like it is for anybody who loses a parent in a traumatic circumstance, whether it's a car accident or something else like that. Um, What did your mental health look like? Because you were 21. Uh, when I lost dad? Yeah. Um, I was, gosh, how long? I was 23. When Don't I, sit there in your mid-twenties yeah. and try and pretend <laughs> that you can't remember like, how old you are. You realise how old I am, Georgia? Yeah, yeah. Right. No, so I was 23 when yeah. Yeah, dad passed away. Yeah. So how, what was your, what did your mental health look like at the time? Because, I mean, I've obviously I've been to lots of um, advising jobs and I've actually attended incidences where people have lost their parents or yeah. family ones and uh, family members and... They say that it normally takes them sort of six to eight weeks. And let's be honest, you never ever get over the pain of losing no, somebody. Yeah. But how? what was your mental health like for that sort of first three or four weeks? Can you remember? I was really, I remember being really high functioning. So, yeah. you know, I think when you, you hear about grief growing up in the stages and stuff, but to actually go through it is a lot different when you lose a parent it is such a big change in your life and to lose them so suddenly as well and obviously the added trauma factor on top of that so for us because mum was quite unwell so she had a heart attack the night that dad died and so it was me and my siblings at home so it was you know the constant and we had the animals so we live on a lifestyle block so we were yeah all very high functioning but for me it did take me probably three months to really get to that stage where it was kind of the oh my gosh moment where it you know he wasn't ever coming back yeah. so you kind of it does hit you because you function for so long off adrenaline um yeah it did take me a while to get to that stage what got you through because this is going to sound really stupid but i've spoken to three or four people who were going to take their own lives and i'd probably say almost all of them said oh the reason i didn't was because and this sounds kind of cliche, but when I saw, have you watched Ricky Gervais's Afterlife? Yeah. Yeah. So when I saw Ricky Gervais's Afterlife, I laughed. I was like, "You're very insensitive." I'm like, "No, no." But those people that I knew that I'd spoken to said, like, it, was really, "It sounds really strange." But the reason I didn't was because I was worried about who was going to feed my dog, um, or who was going to look after my cat, or something else, which is nice in one way, I guess. Um, what was what got you through those sort of first four to six weeks? Was it something that you did or you go for a walk or... Yeah, so we we are really lucky that we have so many animals at home. So we have, you know, the horses and the cows and sheep and the dogs and the cats. And um, so it was really nice to be able to come home after work because I did go back to work, um, which kept me busy. But to be around, I guess, the animals and outside. And I've got siblings, you know, who were at home at the time. So we were together and we're very close, me and my siblings, which was good so it's just 
you know, having the space to breathe and not be too overwhelmed with the visitors because that happens as well. You get a lot of visitors after they pass away. Was it hard, because obviously being in the um, travel and hospitality industry, everybody's bright smiles, fantastic places. Was it it hard for the first couple of months? It was hard going back. So I, I felt this pressure to go back to work quite quickly. So I went back to work a couple of days after Dad's memorial, which would have been about three weeks after he passed away. But yeah, the industry, I was a key accounts manager, so my job was very high paced and I had a lot of, you know, team members who we relied on each other for our job. So I felt almost claustrophobic going back into the space, but they were so supportive. So they actually said to me, we're giving you two months off. So I went back and then I had a two month break, but they raised um, money for my family and I. So they ran a big raffle through the whole travel and tourism um, industry which was amazing and that was we were so thankful for that that's awesome yeah what was your dad like because I've read a few articles about <laughs> it he seems like a cool dude it's so like you know you can explain them the best way that you can but to really know him was just he, life was never boring when you're around him he always had laughs to and stories to tell Um, So he was a really good comedian and loved being outdoors. So we were always camping as kids, you know. He always wanted to give us the best, um, I guess, childhood possible. So we were really lucky to have two parents who worked really hard. And he was, yeah, he was was great with all the outdoor activities he got us doing and, you know, coached the sports teams and took us to all our um, sports games on the weekend. Just a really active dad, like present, you know, with everything. So, obviously, in October 2018, when your family are out in the back paddock, you discover that your dad has taken his life after a very long and hard battle with depression, and you make the decision, you had to make the decisions, obviously, and you've called 111. Now, I've sadly, like I said before, I've been to a few calls where family members have been found, and the utter chaos is the only way I can even begin to describe it. Yeah. Although, I did have a sergeant who once said that going to an incident like this is a milkshake of emotions which I thought was quite a cool quote he yeah. said because some people are in disbelief other people are like well that's quite nice because now they're no longer fighting or something else like that I know that you've got a copy of the call yes and I that do you, you've heard the call yeah. a couple of times eh? yeah yeah um Ken you obviously had to make all the decisions and you got a little bit of help from Peter I guess and we'll talk about that in a second but can you remember ringing 111 on that day and just what was going through your head? Yeah, so I kind of describe it like I've never really experienced because obviously your first initial reaction is your adrenaline. So with the trauma like that, you get so much adrenaline. So it did feel, I know this sounds really strange, but it felt like someone had poured boiling hot water over me. So it was very quick, you know, all your senses are heightened in that moment. And I did, I picked up the phone very fast and I called emergency and I actually came through to fire comms first because the fire brigade is up the road and they're our local volunteer station and I just wanted them there because I knew they were close so but you know on the call the first thing I say is I don't want fire Um, and then she ended up putting me through to Peter but it's just um, before I got the recording of my call I thought that I was only on the phone for 30 seconds and I ended up getting the recording and it ended up being 12 minutes so that was quite a shock to think that you know that recording has um got a hold of me telling my partner on the phone and hearing mum tell me what happened because I actually didn't know it first really yeah um I heard mum tell me and then that was that was it so there's a lot on that recording 
Yeah. Um, so you ring 111 and you have the fortune eventually of getting through to police communicator Peter Keenan. And you said you made that he you, he you said that he made you feel like you'd been wrapped in bubble. Yeah, yeah. Um, even though it was only like ten minutes or twelve, according mm. to what we've just heard. Can you remember what he did that was so special to wrap you up in that bubble? Mm. He was just so calm, and I think for a communicator, you know, they are the first responders of the trauma that happens. They are your first point of call. So for him to, you know, just be a voice, I feel really bad for saying this, but I actually thought I spoke to a woman before I got the recording as well because the fire comms lady was a woman. I didn't realise I even spoke to Peter because you do forget a lot of what went on in trauma. But he, um, I was all by myself in the house and my mum and my sister were outside. So to have Peter just on the phone with me and he kept me calm and he just explained to me what would happen and he said you know we need you to help us find the best way to get to your dad and he asked me lots of questions and just kept me um talking and I asked him you know if we could stay on the phone he said yes that's fine and it just made me feel a lot less alone like for a communicator to be really calm in a moment of yeah quite a lot of panic really yeah yeah um and you've just called an Irishman a woman as well, that's tremendous. <laughs> right, Peter, He's going to get me for that at <laughs> yeah. work. Peter, I apologise. I have Irish descendancy. My mother is from Ireland, and I do apologise on the behalf of Georgia for that. Um, now, I'm a firm believer that from tragedy comes reinvention or really good things, and I was reading a blog yesterday which said, you might recognise this, you gain strength and courage and confidence by every experience in which you really stop to look fear in the face. You do the thing that you cannot do. You recognise that? I do. I do. That's your blog. Is it? Yeah, that's your blog. So you obviously you faced it, faced fear in the face, and you do you did something that you normally could not do. I mean, if most people, if we went into the house and said, "Hey, you've got to do this because this has happened," they'd be like, "Oh my goodness, I can't do it." Mm. Um, what's the big lesson you think you learnt from that call and talking to Peter and having us turn up and? We, we do we kind of invade your space because you know we're trying to get there and help people yeah and, everything else. and there's a lot of people that are yeah. there yeah, yeah. and, and like yeah lots of people i've spoken to after we've gone you know we've come back a couple of weeks later and made sure that they're okay and everything else they're like i'd like to thank everybody but i just can't remember like you said you know i can't yeah. remember if i spoke to a male or a female i don't know were the fire service here no were there ambulance yeah, so, yeah. so what what was for you what was the big thing that from staring fear in the face, what's the big thing that you you take away from it? That whatever trauma you've been through, it doesn't need to define who you are as a person. Like I, you know, it's definitely taught me some lessons from losing a parent in such a traumatic way, but to be able to then stand back, look at the trauma, and then be able to help people from it, I think that's the biggest thing that can come from what I've been through. Yeah, and yeah. like... um. I was obviously I was researching this and everything else, and a couple of the guys saw your pictures from the police magazines. Like, oh, it's that girl, and I'm like, yeah, she's actually got a name. Her name's Georgia, and they're like, oh yeah, that's not what I mean. That's a your your message is obviously getting out there, which is a great thing. So you have obviously stared fear in the face, and you've done incredibly well. What does a flat day look like for you, and how do you cope with your flat day? Because man, I mean, some people I know who suffer um, from depression or they've got uh, mental health issues some of the stuff they do to get themselves back up it's amazing I know a firefighter I won't mention any names uh, who sits here and watches a rom-com once a week yeah and sobs his heart out and at the end of it he's like I'm cleansed 
and off he goes. All the guys at the fire station know about it, and they take the complete and utter mickey out of him. But he knows that that's his way to get clean. Yeah. So what do you do for I a do, day? yeah. I watch a movie. Yeah? Yeah. So I watch, um, like, I really like drama movies. And I know that sounds quite strange, but, you know, they say that going for a walk really helps your mental health, which is great because it does. You know, nature's so amazing. But for me to go out for a walk when I'm feeling really, like, um, sad or... Um, unhappy I guess from my experiences you know sitting down and watching a movie is relaxing so yeah. it just puts me in a different headspace I can focus on the movie and then just getting up and then I'll go for a walk afterwards so it's just keeping your mind well for me you know just I just need to relax yeah, yeah. so sitting on the couch is what I do what did you do to get past the barrier because I know that some people say there was a moment where I just went you know what if was here they wouldn't want me to mope like this. Yeah. I'm moving on. Or um, talking to uh, Matt Kelman, the gentleman who did the Coast to Coast, yeah. and he suffered from uh, depression. You know, he was like, this is going to sound really crazy, but I'm going to do a Coast to Coast. And that was his focus for the next months. Mm. Um, what was it that pushed you sort of over the barrier and made you sort of pick yourself up, dust yourself off and get on? I think social media taught me a lot about that because for me, starting, you know, talking about what I do on social media I wanted to hear someone else's experience but I couldn't find anyone to kind of you know read about or it was just very hard so that's why I started posting on Instagram and I wanted to do it in a really respectful way um, and also to raise awareness for you know losing someone from suicide and that you can still be who you are and go through a trauma and do some really awesome things so that's just kind of what I did and social media taught me that you can still be vulnerable and really hard working as well and it you know didn't put a differ or damper on things so and that's the beauty I think of social media like we said before we even started this you can meet some amazing people on social media how many trolls or haters have you had since you started doing anything on social media oh. <laughs> um, I'm actually going through that at the moment so I think the more people see your content the more people like to judge and yeah I get it I do get it a lot and I think it is hard talking about mental health because yeah. people feel like they can target because there's not one way to deal with your grief or your trauma or whatever you've been through in life so my opinion is just my opinion yeah. and that's that and it's okay for people to judge me but it's when they start using really hurtful words you just really do have to you know dust yourself off and get back up yeah um, yeah yeah now there's lots of experts and wellness coaches and books and all that type of stuff going on as well um, and I always like a quote um, from there's a comedian called George Cullen check him out he said he always finds it staggering that people who aren't motivated can motivate themselves to go and buy a motivational book <laughs> at a bookstore, but yet they can't motivate themselves to go out for a run or get fit. Um, what was the one thing, was there anything like that that helped you out? I know that you spoke about a weighted blanket. Yes, they're yep. amazing. Yep. Yep. So for anyone who has been through anything and they you know, have trouble sleeping, weighted blankets are amazing, and my partner just helped me a lot, so he was the one that actually bought me that blanket, um, I had mentioned it a year or so ago, and then he got it for me for Valentine's Day, but um, he was a really good support, you know, I'd be having a bad day, or I'd come home from work, and everything was quite overwhelming, and he just said, you, you know, it's, it's alright to have bad days, and you just kind of have to, have to acknowledge what you're feeling, um, because it's not always going to be like that. No, you know, it doesn't no. always stay how it is. Exactly right, yeah. and having 
a family member that has a weighted blanket as well, uh, <laughs> I can assure you that there is no feeling like a weighted blanket. <laughs> I recommend them uh, it's awesome. <laughs> to everyone. Uh, yeah. yeah, they're good. So at the age of five and at 12 and at 18, you were asked, according to your blog, what you wanted to do when you grew up. Yes. And every time you said a police officer, every what time. was the what was the appeal? I, I've always um, been interested in policing as a career. It's always been on the back of my mind, no matter what I've been doing. So I was quite heavily involved in travel and tourism. I wanted to be a police officer when I left high school, and then I decided that instead of going through the application, I would go and travel. So I went and I moved to Florida, and I did that. But I just think from experiences, I it's been always been quite an exciting career, and I know that... Um, it's also equally as hard, but the values that police uphold, I really respect that, and I just, yeah, lo- I love my job. Yeah. I love it. Yeah, it's great. That's a good thing. Um, I'll tell you mine later on, off the uh, air. The reason I do in the police, yeah, it's not worth the comedy factor at the moment. Uh, so then in October 2019, you start at North Com Centre. Yes. Just one day before the anniversary of your dad's passing. And then you qualify as a CRL or crime reporting line call taker where um, you say you couldn't have been much more happier and you actually get to work alongside Peter. Yes. What was that like? Because you guys obviously had spoken before as well, eh, before you started there or not? No, we hadn't. So so yeah, I started one day before my dad's anniversary, so his one-year anniversary, and you can imagine the emotions from that because he, I always was quite vocal that I wanted to join police and he would sometimes, you know, go for a walk with me or train with me. So to graduate or to start policing and not have him be there was very emotional. Yeah. And then one of my trainers, um, she heard of my story and she said, I think I know the communicator that took your call. So she actually organised with one of the inspectors to have Peter sit down with me and it was really nice so I think it must have been the week after I started I sat down with him and it was just it's, it's very rare that you ever get to go through such a traumatic experience then work for the police and then work in the same section as the person who took your call so yeah Peter and I see each other often we'll pass each other in the hallways and he's a very funny man and I'm very grateful yeah that he took that call that day he's great and he sounds nothing like a Gill, he? <laughs> he's, he sounds nothing <laughs> yeah, like a girl. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> All right, so Peter said he distinctly remembers your call and he's full of praise for how you have dealt with it. And he said in the uh, one of the police articles that you guys did, I think she's quite special. And I've got to say, I agree. Um, now, I also have heard that you started your application process to yeah. join the police. How's that going? It's good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I do. I really want to become frontline. Yeah. I'm really interested in. Um, I'm interested in a lot of Interpol um, policing and yeah. child protection and there's a lot of different things that interest me but the main thing is just working in an environment where you know that your workmates have your back every day and yeah. it's such a, it is such an exciting career and to do what we do is pretty incredible yeah what are you finding the hardest part about the application process for you uh, the hardest part, I think it's the doubting yourself. Yeah. It's, you know, it does come up often and I know I'm not the only one to feel that way, but just knowing that there's bigger things on the horizon, then you just got to go for it. Yeah. And, yeah. Um, is there any one particular bit that sticks out for you? For Like for me, um, it was the run cause I'm an ex front row forward. <laughs> I don't run anywhere if I don't have to, uh, but I did that, those testing days and it took me a couple of months to get through it and work through it and the pushups were no, no problem. So what's your sticking point? You got a sticking point or not? I think it's the abstract test. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. 
they do get me because I was never I was never you know an academic kid in school but you just have to put your mind to it and there's lots of books that can help you out but those they always yeah get me stuck so yeah just gotta yeah, work be, on it yeah can be confusing so I know that you've been through a shitstorm of emotion and there's one dad to you I'm very sure that your dad would be very amazed and very very proud of how you've not oh, only coped you. but how you've come through the other side stronger so if somebody was listening and maybe having a bad day and think things aren't going all right what advice would you give them in your opinion because that's what it is yeah yeah. I think it's really easy to I guess stay in the hole with your emotions but just acknowledging how you feel and just know that you're not you really aren't going to feel that way forever you might feel that way for a couple of weeks but just have small goals that you can do you know like eat a really good breakfast or yeah go for a walk or just tell someone how you feel because it does make the world of difference and being vulnerable for you know five minutes in a conversation can sometimes save your life so i think that's yeah a really important thing to remember no it's something i didn't realize but since i started talking a lot about mental health what you do and um, my mate Matt Kelman the author does as well he's got this great term called a depression whisperer right (laughs) where people open up to you and can see you can kind of see through the veil do you think it's because uh, you have shown them vulnerability do you think it's because you're a kindred spirit do you think it's because it's okay not to be okay what do you think of the whole mixture of them? What What do you think it is? Because you no doubt have probably had some people come up to you and say, hey, Georgia, I'm not having a good day today, yeah, or that yeah, type of stuff. Definitely, yeah, definitely. It's almost like a secret society, which yeah. I can't figure out. It's, um, yeah, I was told that, you know, when I started sharing on social media that I would get a few people, and I do get a lot. Um, You know, daily I get messages from people, but I just have to be really... Um, I guess professional and respectful to them as well and the people around them in their lives and what I say back to them and I think it is really important for them to know that leaning on someone in their own life is such a big thing and a big step for them to kind of I guess move forward with how they're feeling so with the messages yeah it's maybe it's a mixture of things yeah maybe it's yeah so you're obviously now in a much better place and it's taken some real courage to come forward and share your story why did you come forward? Because it would have been so... I mean, I know that you, and looking back and doing some of the research, I know that you and your mum and the rest of your, the members of your family, you basically, you know, you went out and told your dad's story about what had happened and everything else. Mm. It would have been really easy just to go, hey, leave us alone, we're grieving, um, and we'll continue to grieve in, in private, uh, yeah. and we'll just get our own stuff in order, and then when we're all good, we'll come back out into the world and face it, and that'll be it. But yeah. why, why is it important that you come forward and you tell your story I think for me it was uh, you know we do hear a lot about the I guess the mental health system and the health system in general but there's very limited information for people who are dealing with grief from suicide so that was my biggest thing for me to keep speaking up about it because losing someone to suicide we hear about it so often but to understand what that family's going through and the highs and lows and it's still going you know we've been near well it'll be two years in October since we lost dad and every day it's just a constant you just have to learn to live with it and for me to speak up about that and for someone who's going through early stages of grief to understand a little bit about what they can kind of expect I know it's different for everyone but yeah just to be able to have the opportunity to speak up about it is something yeah I'm really grateful for yeah and I and I'm talking from personal experience here but when we did Brian and Bobby we did an episode on death yeah um and it staggered me at how many complete lack of resources there were. There's, for, yeah, there's very little. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Especially for school age kids, you know. Yes. And, yeah. Yeah. 
Um, what's the reaction been from people with you coming forward? Because I picture a lot of people come, wanting to come up to you and give you a hug or, <laughs> or, you know, or lots of empathy or give you a bit of a shoulder rub and, yeah. oh, you know, you'll be okay, Georgia. Yeah, yeah. Um, do, you, do you get that quite a bit or has it just been like business as usual or? Um, it depends. Like I have, I've been out with, you know, family and then someone might recognize me and they'll say something and it's always really nice um, you know, to, to meet people and hear their stories because everyone's got a story to share. I think I just do it. I do it so publicly yeah, that no, it does, that. Yep. you know, like stand out, I think, and with the grief factor, but I am very grateful, yeah, for the people that I meet and the, the stories that they tell me. Yeah. Definitely. Now there's lots of mental health advocates, uh, Genevieve. Yes. Jazz, whose book I'm not buying until she's on my podcast. <laughs> uh, Jackson Shuri, who was on last week. Yes, Jackson, um, yeah. Who say often when they tell their story, it doesn't feel like them. And I know that you often have spoken about having nightmares or you hear a siren go past and you mm. used to break down into tears. Yeah. Um, does it still feel like you when you tell people your story or are you beginning to get like Jen and Jazz where you, every day that goes by, it sort of gets a little bit further and further away? You Yeah, you almost, I guess, when you get to a point like you have told your story quite often and there's so much of my story that I haven't told in regards to dad's passing but you almost had I guess not disassociate but you get more comfortable yeah. is that the right word like more comfortable telling your story and you get more confident in the way that you portray that to people for them to feel like there is hope from what they're going through so yeah what's the one question that everybody asks you because th there's got to be one that they always pop up and sort of say oh hey Georgia after they've spoken to you for a couple of minutes it's sort yeah. of awkwardly we'll get to that question and now we'll get to it it's not a good question, but it does come up, yep. um, and it's how did he do it? So that's a question that people ask me a lot, and almost every conversation they'll yeah, ask me that. Which is, yeah. and I and I don't say no, which yeah. is morbid curiosity. Yes, and, yeah. yeah, but that is the main. Question, yeah. yeah. Um. Okay, eulogy question time, mm. which given a topic might be quite appropriate. <laughs> um. So. Way, way, way off in the future after you've had your illustrious police career and gone on to do wonderful things and uh, I'm calling you Commissioner, all right? Um, <laughs> you might laugh, but Commissioner Angie Costa was my old ICAR partner, <laughs> all right? Uh, so, what would you want people to say at your service? If you were lying there and you could hear them talking, what would you want them to say about Georgia, would you, what would you want them to say? I'd want them to joke about me. Yeah. Like, I think that's the best thing to have. You know, funerals can be so... They are really sad, you know, and we love the people who have left us, but Dad's... The best thing I loved about Dad's memorial was the jokes that came out of it, and it was so funny. And if you can have laughs on that day, then that's all I would want, is yeah. just for them to have laughs and, yeah. All right, so that was that. See, that wasn't that bad, was it? No, it was good. No, the yeah. questions weren't that bad. It was all good, right? So uh, so I am going to be posting a photo of me and Georgia up. Um, and every now and then you're going to see Georgia popping up on uh, my social media blogs because we are going to follow you as you become a police officer. I'm not putting any pressure on you, but it's happening. <laughs> yeah, no pressure. All right, yeah, good. Uh, and then eventually you'll see Georgia and I have struck a deal. Uh, but I'm not going to tell you about that until she's actually graduated. So that's another story. Um, Georgia, thank you very much for, one, sharing your story. I'd say that even if I wasn't a police officer. Um, it's really, really important to think that the more we talk about it, the less stigma there is about it. And the more we talk about mental health, the better it is for everybody. Because, you know, we always talk about um, physical injuries that, you know, 
and everything else, but we never actually talk about mental health as often as we should. Um, so keep up the amazing that you're doing because it is Thank amazing. Um, and say hello to Peter for me. I will. When you see him. I will. One Irishman to another, not one Irishman to a girl. <laughs> all right, yeah, all good. So two mystery prizes from our great mates at Tactical Solutions this week. All you have to do is the following. Go to either iTunes or SoundCloud and write a review on the Cappuccino podcast. So go to iTunes or SoundCloud, write a review on the Cappuccino podcast, and then DM me that review on the Cappuccino podcast on Instagram, and we'll draw two lucky winners from all those reviews that come on. And competition's drawn on June the 15th, and only New Zealand residents can take part in the competition. Cappuccino with Constable Brian. Real people, real stories. Make sure you subscribe so you don't miss his next podcast.